Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Frida. I'm Abby, and this week's movie is Starship Troopers, which we can't say a single thing about just yet. I know, I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm freaking out, man. Um, okay, so uh, as per usual, we kick off our episode with a little bit of a uh, We Are Two Working Physicists in the real world working full-time as scientists um and then we do this on the side uh frida's shaking her head at me which is concerning me what's up oh just i'm in i it is so hectic okay <laughs> i'm going to munich in the morning i'm going to yeah. munich in the morning it's sunday night i'm jumping on a plane tomorrow to this conference and i'm having one at like it doesn't happen to me too much but sometimes everything just crumples like i'm I like i can't i can't I yeah. can't actually do this. How do I do this? <laughs> and it's one of those days where I realize, like, I do not have a big enough support system. I'm not very good at asking for help. I try my best, but it never, like, right. and I'm just like, how do I do this? And, like, basically, my poster is not done. Oh, shit. It's not even started. My content oh, is all done. Okay. My friend, who is a scientist and a graphics designer as well, was like, this is easy for me. I got you. I'll come over on the weekend. We'll get it over. Just have the content ready. And she went away for the weekend. <gasps> no. And she just... Yeah, and this is the person I do not... I don't rely on people usually, but I really believed her. Oh, no. And it's, none of it is done, and I have no, like, design skills, and I'm... And then on top of that, I was going to go with my son to see Guardians of the Galaxy before I leave. And I'm like, I'm going to do two and a half, three hours of this day that I haven't done my post and I haven't packed to watch Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, like, no. can somebody, I wrote like, I wrote on Facebook, I was like, I would literally marry someone just so that there's another person to take my son to Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Um, and I went, I went to him, I went to oh Guardians of the Galaxy on the day with my son that I haven't done my poster and I haven't packed and I have to record this podcast because I said that I would oh, and that's what mothers do. And I'm like, and his eating dinner that I made. And I'm just like, how am I doing? The only way I'm getting through this is I know I have Berlin after Munich and I can blitz myself. <laughs> okay. That is the only thing that is pushing me through is like, after all this is done, I get to be there and like all this will come out. Okay. okay. That's it. That's, that's where okay. I'm at. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Virgin breakdown. <laughs> Um, it's the night for you. Are you telling me you still haven't packed for the morning? Let me just rotate. Okay. Okay. So. It's all in tiny piles. <laughs> Why are we doing this right now? <laughs> I'll be fine. All right. Okay. Well, then let's just do it then. I mean, luckily, there's not a whole lot of in-depth science in Starship Troopers. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my new sorry my my science life how are you <laughs> i'm the opposite of you not not necessarily the opposite but like i was where you were a while back 
And then I had a moment like afterwards where it was really confusing and I didn't really know how to like come out of it. And um, I've done some stuff that's been productive. But do you know what I do want to say about this week? Uh, don't underestimate, if you are a physics student, if you're doing a PhD, anything like that, do not underestimate the power of textbooks. Uh, I feel like we get convinced that all the knowledge that we that we need or we want, we have to like read papers to get it. Seriously, textbooks, full of knowledge, so much information. Um, <laughs> who knew? Who knew? <laughs> So, but basically, like, I've been, so I've been working my way through, like, my supervisor said it to me a while back when I started on this project, and he was like, oh, I recommend working through this, this textbook, and there's a course that I'll take um, later in the year as well, um, that I would have taken in my first year if I hadn't, like, switched projects and blah, blah. Anyway, um, so I've been kind of working my way through it, and, but focusing on trying to get all the stuff done, and then this week I just went, fuck it, I'm just gonna read this textbook. And seriously, I just sat there for a few days and I've just, I haven't finished it, but I've made a really, like I'm nearly towards the end now. And there's just so much in it where I was going, do you know what? A lot of stuff I'm reading in those papers makes sense now. A lot of those words that they keep mm. using, a lot of things that they keep explaining and describing that I can't freaking understand make a lot of sense. So yeah, power to the textbook, you guys. Read textbooks. That's my, that's my tip of the day for being a scientist. If you have to. To me, stuff that is in textbooks is canon, to use a word mm. from a few episodes ago. Once it's canon, it goes in the textbook, which is very confusing because physics also has canon, the canonical quantization. <laughs> but it, that's very stressful. But um, as in the word confusion, but if it's if it's if it's become foundational science, it's in a textbook. If it's part of evolving science, it's based on foundational mm. science. It's in the literature, I sort of think, kind of. No, so but that, that's exactly that's exactly it. But the point is, is if you've moved into a new area where you haven't studied that physics before, trying to learn it from literature is too difficult because they're talking yeah. about processes that you haven't learned from textbooks. So that's the thing. It's like, you know, just reading through the textbook and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, that paper about ionization makes a lot more sense to me now because I understand what the process is and how that's working because of how it's laid out in the textbook. I mean, for the most part, of course, all the textbook is all like linear effects and it's always like one dimensional and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, cool, I'm like, want non-linear, three dimensional. Awesome. This is going to be fun math. But like to understand the the basis of it at least you kind of go like cool now I can kind of get um get what's going on a bit better anyway enough of me rambling about textbooks and my love for them never enough of that <laughs> we should just we should do a show and tell our favorite textbooks because my <gasps> textbooks are finally out because now I have the shelves so my textbooks can come yeah. out of the cupboard and actually sit on the shelves it's I know. exciting since so we moved I haven't textbooks. I haven't figured out what to do yet like I don't really have much shelf space so yeah. I've just kind of got the top of this up but I need to, yeah they're all in a corner over here and I'm like they need some they need some love let them um, breathe anyways let's yeah let's, enough of textbooks. okay yeah enough textbooks enough physics random life breakdown chats and let's get into this movie here is my summary for starship troopers <clears throat> I'm gonna try <clears throat> all right okay I won't be able to do the voice that I want to do for this. I just want to acknowledge that immediately, but we're just going to go with it. Okay. In a world. Oh, shoot. Why, In man? a world. I knew that was coming. 
was coming. I, I it was in my head, and then you said it. That's hilarious. Okay, off you go. All right. In a world where man and bug fight for galactic domination, do you want to be a rich kid jock or a citizen? Join the mobile infantry and you can be just like Johnny Rico, hero of the bug wars, fighting to preserve our God-given right to squash some bugs. Do you want to know more? How good are your math scores? Could you plot a course from here to Clendathu, evading the bug's favorite and most deadly of weapons, asteroids? Join the fleet and you'll get to fly a big-ass spaceship just like Carbon Ibanez. Do you want to know more? Don't have what it takes for... Don't have what it takes for federal service? Civilians could do their part too. Every time you see a bug, show it your boot. Do your part to support the troops. On the bounce, you apes. Let's hunt some bugs. Starship troopers. Do you want to know more? Do you want to know more? That's so good. Frida, do you want to know more? All right, no, before, okay, so, right, before you're allowed to say anything, before Frida's allowed to speak, I have two things to say. Number one, I love this movie so much. Like, I've seen it so many times, I can't even, like, I can't tell you how many times. But every time I watch it, I am still glued to the screen. Writing notes for this was really hard because I couldn't stop watching it to, to, like, write the notes. Um... When on on one of our Spotify episodes, when we talked about in the miniseries, we talked about Starship Troopers. Your your fate, um, your favorite, not your favorite, your your number one fan, Eric, commented. <laughs> oh God, let me remember what did he say? I think he said something like, um, "I suspect Frida will love Starship Troopers just enough mix between body horror and satire, or something like that." Now, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, having spent three years talking about these movies with you and having had conversations with you about Guardians of the Galaxy and Don't Look Up, I'm not so sure. They have... It, it is not remotely in the same category because it's not even remotely in the same category. No, but I'm saying movies that, movies that I completely, absolutely love and previously I've thought Frida will love this and you've rocked in with, like, hated it, has made me... Not so sure what your response to this movie is. And all you said to me in the chat was, I can't make heads or tails of this movie. So I don't know. So Frida, what are you going to say? It's not a simple answer. (laughs) I know that I need to, I know I need to watch it a whole lot more because obviously this movie has a first impressions about it. And then there's a, there's a feeling about it. Like, um, there's there's a feeling like it's all a joke. And that the people that are the biggest targets of the joke are the actors. It's like the actors don't even know they're in a joke. It's so meta. It's like they've hired these people who are like insanely wooden and gone, you know, this is just going to be this like be great. Like, don't worry about it. It's just going to be there. Not realizing that they are a target of an enormous joke. It was intentional. I know. And the worse they act the funnier and yeah. better it is for the whole movie. And it's and then once you get that, once you get that, it just gets better and better. Like the worse it is, the better it is. It's and then the final thing at the end when Neil Patrick Harris is like, I don't I can't even remember what it is, but when the Queen comes out and they like do a whole like the lines that are delivered in that are just it's so afraid. bad. It's a food. <laughs> yeah, 
and like and just everything it's it, it's so funny um yeah. but uh i wish i had way more time to like really watch it again yeah um that's fair. But I get it. It's 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 absolutely hilarious. Um, I can't make heads nor tails of it because, yeah, it's like it's hard to make heads or tails. Of, yeah, obviously. we're gonna we'll have a big chat about it. So I decided to like push jump push themes to the end, and we'll just talk. We'll just have a big old chat about it at the end. Um, okay. In terms of yeah, all that good. kind of respect, because uh, it there's. There's some weird kind of conflicts between how the original story in the book was written versus how it was interpreted to make the movie versus how um, it was marketed and people then interpreted the movie that led to like all this kind of confusion. And then it was like reassessed over time. And it was just like, and I, I think it's interesting because I think like the whole big thing was that it was marketed in America as an action movie where it was marketed in like the UK and Europe as a satire. So in America, it got hugely like bad because people were really confused because they were like, oh, it's an action movie and it's really bad. Whereas like in the UK, everyone was like, yeah, it's a satire. We we get it. Like Even that itself is satire. The fact what you just said to me is another layer of satire. Like how- I, I want to say I don't think that was intentional. They were like the it was the it was a mismarketing thing. Sure not. But like because because they, yeah. they basically thought if we market it as satire, people don't like it and they won't watch it. So we'll say it's an action movie, which just made people really annoyed because they were like, "It's a shit action movie. What are you talking about? Why are they promoting all this stuff?" Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Um, but wait, just just can I yeah. just illustrate that exactly what's we what's hard about this commenting about the movie is that everything that I started writing as what the fucks right the more the movie went on I realized that they became the funniest things like they weren't anymore I was like what the fuck or that's dumb or that's stupid or this is bad acting or that and then as you get into the movie I reflect every single one of my what the fuck sort of starts to get (laughs) looked at in a different perspective and before I know what I'm like Maybe I don't have any anymore because it, yeah. I can't really call them what the fucks. And that's that, that that's really my experience about the movie. This makes me really happy. Because when you said to me you had yeah. a whole bunch of what the fucks, I was like, oh, she didn't get it. <laughs> it made me sad. Well, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> no, I know you're not an idiot. But like, there's, you just, because we have different, we have different feelings about movies. And there was a way, I, I always yeah. remember everything everywhere all at once as well. I was so sure that you were going to absolutely love that movie and your approach was I, I get it and I understand the reason why it's good but I didn't like it <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah. that's what well, I was worried about with this that you're gonna be like I get what it's trying to say but I didn't like it so I'm glad that you seem to yeah. be coming down on the other side um all right well, so they let's... weren't trying the thing they're not sorry they weren't trying to make you like you know anyway yeah, yeah. you go on I mean okay keep going okay so before yeah, so Talk. I just want to mention one thing before we chat about um a bit about the cast is that uh, sorry, because we, we'll talk an awful lot about stuff in themes later, like I said. But I just want to acknowledge the special and visual effects for a movie made in 1997. And a big shout out to Phil Tippett, who's one of the OG greats of creature creation and stop motion, who was the one who did the bugs for this movie. And um, I mean, when you think about it and and you when you find out that they spent half of their budget on the effects, kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought the bug creation yeah. was incredible um love the bugs yeah For, like when, when you think about it, like 1997 i just don't think of that as having good graphics and then it's like oh my god this really really was great um mm. okay so before we talk about cast and best bits is there anything that you want to bring up 
Nope. Okay. All right. Go so you. now the thing with the cast is there's a lot of familiar faces in this cast. Like it's a whole heap of James Redhorns for us. It's fucking epic James Redhorn central of this movie. So totally don't... James Redhorn. <laughs> So I don't want to get too bogged down um, talking about everyone because I don't want us to like spend half an hour talking about the cast. So I just I just picked out just a mention, a nod to the main four, uh, which are the main four kind of friends, which are um, Casper Van Dien as Rico, Dina Mayer as Dizzy, Denise Richards as Carmen and Neil Patrick Harris as Carl. Um, and is there anyone that you want to pick out other than them? Is there anything that you want? Yeah, or is there anything do- you want to say about any of them? Sorry. No, just Dean Norris is in there. He's a total mm. James Rebhorn, but then he went on to have like a huge role in Breaking Bad. He broke out of his James Rebhorn-ness. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> Love him. He's so young. He's so young. It's crazy. <laughs> they're also, when you look at them, they're also young. But what I find fascinating as well is like there's, there's bits of it, particularly like Dina Mayer, where I'm just like, have you ever aged? You're just like, she's never looked different mm. to me, ever. Um, the only things I want to say about not, them not is, Norris. is more. <laughs> Dean Norris is just a scene without his characteristic tummy. Yeah. <laughs> like there was a time when he was like trim. Yeah. It's hilarious. Sorry. Um, I I don't really have anything to say about their their kind of acting or cast because I mean we know it's all part of the part of the joke. But um, I I do want to say that I want Carmen's job. I want to fly that ship. Um, and I always, always, I swear to God, when I was younger, like my image of like, when I thought like girl, girl dressed, like girl in uniform looking really cool was Dizzy in her mobile infantry mm. outfit when she comes out with her black t-shirt and her like, um, her braces. Mm, and, oh, her, totally. and I was just, I always like, oh my God, I want to look like that. I want to look like that. I want to dress like that. <laughs> um, mm. Uh, the only other thing I want to say yeah, cast-wise yeah. is a shout-out to Brenda Strong. Small role, but badass lady captain of a huge ship. Love it. Yeah. Also, just just a shout-out to... Because last last week I was complaining about the Ant-Man that they have a, a couple getting together, but there's nothing remotely sexy or there's no chemistry or there's nothing in it. Well, wow, did I got... I got, <laughs> I got everything... I got dividends on that complaint in this movie. Holy shit. I was like, wow. I mean, that actually was thinking. I was like, those actors... They're, they're shooting this. Like, they're it's pretend, but I'm like, but this is... This is just actual full on. I just felt like those actors were very vulnerable. Like I just was like, this is blowing my mind how people do this for a job. Yeah. In front of cameras. <laughs> it was pretty like full on and hilarious. And the whole thing was hilarious. But yeah, just because I complained. So I love thanks, it. Abby. You really You're came welcome. around for me. What a good friend. <laughs> you wanted sexy. I brought you sexy. <laughs> Okay, so is there anything else you want to say about cast? Um, no. All right, let's get into best bits then. <laughs> I have a whole list. <laughs> let's just run them off. Have you got a list? I have a huge list. It, it, yeah, it's like basically all my what the fuck sort of flipped yeah. into best bits, kind of a whole lot of them. Um, okay, let's just let's just do quick fire, rapid, one to one. Okay, number one. Okay. Mobile, your number one. Go your number. Sorry, the, the Jupiter, Jupiter. When she arrives at Jupiter, I'm Jupiter in the background. Look where I am, Jupiter. <laughs> Lol. Go on. 
The mobile infantry made me the man I am today. Cut to shot of prosthetic arm. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, amazing. The co-ed showers. Oh, wonderful. The co-ed showers are amazing. Um, Carmen saying, I love you through fucking gritted teeth. Like, it was so, like, the way she did it, I was just like, I love you. It's just like, do you? Yeah. It's great. Oh my God. And then, and then when she goes to Dizzy, he goes, she's like, I love you. And he's like, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, well, Dizzy's going to die now. <laughs> Dizzy now has to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, well speaking of then i have to say that dizzy's death is epic it is oh. one of the greatest things S- sorry i just got a phone call and i missed the last 10 seconds of audio oh i was just saying that like going straight from that into it like dizzy's death is epic it's a good it's a good death oh, yeah i mean all, all, a lot of the deaths amazing. a lot of the deaths are are great but yeah. that oh, oh that, that was, was just fucking glorious. just just the, the the kissing with the slime on her face too like kissing her face covered in bug slime like every second of it was hilarious and amazing <laughs> go on next up don't don't let me go don't don't let me go don't, johnny, it was like a at least we on. got to be but i got you johnny i got you but i got you <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay, the way they fight on the table. They have this fight, mm. the two guys. Oh, yeah. And he's just smashing his abdomen. He's smashing his, like, yeah. stomach. It's, like, insane. The way he's beating him up, he's just like, oh, yeah. It's fucking just pure pull on. His... on. <laughs> but it's uh, it, it was it was bananas. Yeah. Um, kids with guns in the promo video and then handing out the bullets like they're candy. Yeah. In their yeah. hands. Do you want to know more? <laughs> Kids, yay! Yeah. Um, sending infantry down on just a huge planet, just like go attack, just on this huge planet, just a bunch of ants. Just you, the yes. the visual of that was just amazing. See, all of these were what the fuck? This is stupid. What the fuck? This is stupid. That every single one of them were what I thought was what the fucks, but in hindsight. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's satire. All right, you go. Um, <laughs> a group of Mormon extremists. <laughs> Some people don't believe the bugs are dangerous, so a group of Mormon extremists went and then all the shots of the dead bodies. <laughs> Just the idea of Mormon extremists going to another planet. It's, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing nukes 100 metres away. You can. No, come. <laughs> so perfect. Um, <laughs> the cameraman continuing to film, like like the guy, the guy, the the reporter guy is being mauled to death by the bug, and the cameraman's still there with the camera, like gotta get it for the grab. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and then, I I just this was like for the first bunch it was like that they're not remotely penetrating the bugs with the bullets like mm. not remotely changing any kind of ammunition that it might penetrate there was like for the first 75 percent of the movie it was like they could not bring one bug down <laughs> all right <laughs> 
This is my absolute... Oh, no, I've, got, no, I've still got two more. Okay, so uh, the chat show where they're talking about the brain bugs, you know, there's the guy and the woman and the guy's like being yeah. such a dick and then she just stomps on his foot <laughs> as if he's like a trash. She's like, stop it! I don't know why, but it's just glorious to me. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. So good. Uh, there was some f- chat stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't write that stuff down, but there was some. There was some really funny stuff with the news news things. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do I have? Um, <clears throat> I think just that that the hilariousness of all the. Um, the infantry, like, laughing and cheering at everything. Mm. Like, the entire Buenos Aires gets destroyed. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he goes, like, how are you? And and this is Carmen's like, I haven't stopped crying. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, well, at least we're alive. <laughs> and they, like, slap each other on the back. And they're just like, woo that Kill the, some bugs. The way they... <laughs> Kill some bugs. Yeah, like, the entire movie, yeah. that whole joke is running the entire time. They're just like couldn't be bigger idiots yeah that uh, exactly um my uh, speaking of <laughs> this actually highlights my absolute favorite thing this is my legitimate uh, absolute favorite thing in the entire movie they're at training camp they're in a live fire round he takes the helmet off yeah, Frumple already knows what i'm gonna say he takes the helmet off uh, the gun goes, the guy's head gets exploded, like his entire half his face gets blown off and he's on the floor with the face entirely blown off and Rico, medic! <sighs> Fucking glorious. It is my favourite thing and in the And even also the, the, the hand. Drops to his knees, hands out, medic! <laughs> <laughs> the dude's face that, is That gone. drill sergeant as well. Like the yeah. joke of the drill sergeant being like, "Who thinks I've got what it takes?" I do, sir. And he's like, "He just, he just, yeah, he just breaks <laughs> his hand." It's kind of hilarious because drill, drill sergeants are a funny joke in movies. <laughs> um, um, all right, that's all mine. And anyway. then of course the woman turning up and being like, oh, "It's just yeah. so funny." Everything is so funny. Um, do I have any more? Yeah, the bug dissection at the beginning. <laughs> just the bare hands yeah <laughs> just giving her organs yes. her vomiting on the bug yeah. and leaving with her hands and just like opening the door and running out just with bug yeah. organ hands intestine hands classic <laughs> i think that's it all right okay well that's all the best bits <laughs> great time to get into something a little bit more uh juicy um now like i said we're gonna leave themes until a little bit later when we talk about it at the end so let's jump straight into our first section which is trope of the week farida <laughs> do you have a trope um i have one two and then i've already mentioned the third which is woman says i love you and dies in the next scene okay <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also so have two more. Yeah, go on. Uh, go on. Give me, give me yours. I've got the computer graphics. You know, <gasps> amazing. And when she's like, 
and, and when and when she plots the new trajectory and the guy's like hmm, interesting but he, she's like was i right though and he spins the computer and the computer goes optimal yeah <laughs> <laughs> classic did it even happen if the computer doesn't say it's right no with okay. a cool red graphic go on what's your other one a new stage in human evolution that's a trope that we've never brought yeah. up but you know what i'm calling it it's a dumb trope that is in so many movies whatever that means yeah I didn't even remember the context that it was being used here, but it was used early on. It was used in the, in the like, I don't know. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. With the mind reading. Oh yeah. Mind reading. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole thing. New stage. Human evolution. (laughs) What are your tropes? Okay. Mine are adults playing teenagers. Classic. We haven't seen that in a while. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) I was thinking it's been a lot like euphoria is like the thing now yeah. they look really young but it, oh yeah back yeah, in the day and then of yeah. course they upped it even more extreme just to make us laugh yeah. they were like 30 it's, it's so, so funny so Xander is the, the biggest shadow. what is it Patrick Muldoon it's the he's the biggest one of them it's like you're not a teenager why are you playing in this game you're practically balding what the hell is going on <laughs> I know it's um, so funny Okay, so mine is uh, oh, so so this is one of mine which I just think is hilarious, and I know it's done intentionally, and it's and it is in the book as well, but it's like dystopian or futuristic societies always having public floggings. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like it it it's like this unwritten rule, you know, faster than light travel, artificial gravity, public flogging. That's what the future holds. Floggings. Well, I feel like it's kind of fair because, you know, that's sort of in in terrible fascist dictatorships. Well, they do tend to pull out the public flogging. Yeah, this is the thing. I think like it's it's intentional in the way that like it is actually like, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, you could kind of see this happening. But it's also just. Yes. Yeah. Um, All right. So brutal though that was brutal mm. really was well awful. set up though yeah and i was also like yeah it was those little moments is what was serious about the movie because it's like da 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 and then every now and then they're like you know in this kind of future guess what else yeah that's it, it it was very and they really like strung it out slowly they didn't let us off it was awful to watch and I, yeah. it hit actually quite hard it's almost like the graphic violence in terms of the bodies and the killing and the bugs and stuff is something that you're kind of okay with but the uncomfortableness of actually watching the skin being broken as the whip hits was like Phew. Yeah, my mind really went places. Like, I found that actually properly upsetting. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was a, upset me. Okay, so moving aside from tropes, let's get actually into some science then. Okay. Um, go, go for gold. So we are talking Starship Troopers and we're talking about science, which uh, doesn't really sound like they really go together. It is a science fiction. It is a science fiction classic. But is there any science in it? So, 
let's start off with the first thing I want to talk about is just a brief nod or a brief kind of talk around a brief discussion around colonization and the bases so the movie is set the movie says it's set in 2197 which is 200 years in the future from when it's made um just to point out the book is set 5,000 years in the future so I guess that's another way where we can kind of be okay with the with the movie not having all of the tech and the expectations seen in the book if it's only like 200 years from now sure probably still we'll be using bullets um so humans have worked out interstellar travel using a star drive that we're not going to get into because they don't bring it up or talk about it they just say it's a star drive and we just accept it it's faster than light that's fine um but with this travel capability we've started to do what we fully expect humans to do not explore the galaxy but colonize it uh taking over other planets whether it's peaceful or hostile and it seems in terms of the movie that hostile is preferable so what do you think of this kind of idea do you think that this is what we would do just to um do a hostile takeover of a habitable planet yeah faux show we always see movies where like we're alien invasion and we're like fighting for humanity and humans are like humans are resilient humans are okay and this is the one where it's like no this is the humans going out there and going yeah we want that planet thank you mm. well we're desperate um i was really convinced in the beginning that the whole idea of they're hurling asteroids at us was actually just propaganda to get funding to send troops yeah i don't know if it was or if it wasn't but it felt like that's exactly how it would go down they'd be like make up a reason why we have to be hostile and then just go and fucking claim the planet well totally i completely agree with you and i'm for that reason i'm going to skip down a little bit to the bit that i wrote about the asteroids because in the movie the weapon that the bugs are the weapon that the bugs are using mm. or sending to earth are asteroids even if bugs could slingshot an asteroid to earth because it's just a big rock that's traveling at whatever velocity it was sent off in then that means that it's traveling less than the speed of light and clandathu is supposed to be a planetary system on the other side of the galaxy many many light years away so that means that the asteroid has been traveling to Earth for decades, if not hundreds or thousands of years. Um, the ship as well, we have that whole scene where the ship intercepts the asteroid and hits it, which would alter the course of the asteroid. So it's my evaluation that the bugs did not attack Earth. Um, the asteroid traveled from their asteroid belt on a path that on a path that would bring it towards our solar system. The Roger Young runs into it, deflects it, and sends it on a collision course with Buenos Aires. So it kind of mm. depends on what the intentions are of the movie or not. Like I can say that, and I I don't want to keep I do. Sorry, I know I keep bringing up the book, but I do think it's important because it is very much based on a book that is written by one of the greatest, like, most highly regarded science fiction authors of all time. So, to say, in the book, the bugs do have weaponry. They do have, okay. like, aggressive tendencies. There is an actual war going on. Um, but it's still not clear in the book as to whether the bugs or the humans were the original aggressors. 
uh, in the movie, they kind of take that a little bit more extreme where like the ridiculousness of using an asteroid as a weapon, which, as you said, clearly can't be the case. So it only makes sense that it would be propaganda. And you're talking to a population that don't that have been dumbed down so much that they don't know or understand that you wouldn't actually be able to send an asteroid as a weapon. So it's a it's as you said, it's just some propaganda to allow them to be able to fund this war and instigate them invading Clendathu to try to take over that planet, hmm. um, which is how it seems to play. Yeah. Or the other alternative is that they just decided to completely ignore the physics and thought it would be cool to have the bugs use rocks as weapons. I don't it's know. Such, using <laughs> rocks is such a thing like that they don't have anything else. They're just hurling rocks through space in the vain hope that it couldn't do it like hurling yeah. rocks in space if you think about it it's kind of hilarious but it also seems like they don't have anything else all they've got is the ability to kind of sort of hopefully hurl a rock at earth yeah. like it's not super threatening if they're very far away it's so it seems like it it's it's like they're just sort of yeah. they're kind of dorky low-tech population they're smart but they don't have a lot of technology so all they can really do is hurl yeah. asteroids Oh, it's sad. It is sad. Did you feel that way by the end of the movie? Because, like, you kind of... I feel like you start out thinking, you know, the bugs are really... They're like, ah, this gross, big, scary thing. And then by the end, when they take out the brain bug and when Carl has that whole, like, it's afraid, I genuinely had that moment where it's just like, leave it alone. Leave it alone. This is so disgusting. All of you, like, all standing around cheering that this this creature is afraid because you've invaded their planet <laughs> of course it's afraid <laughs> i know they haven't done anything wrong yeah so the thing it does is... you're right i do like i i do believe that like you know if we talked about like 200 years in the future the the idea that we could go out there into the galaxy then yeah i i wouldn't be surprised at what we would do and what we would be capable of doing um yeah yeah, it is funny, though, to then be nuking the entire place because then, if you think about it, it's not remotely <laughs> habitable after that. But do they want so it because funny. of habitable or do they just want control? Who fucking knows? Well, if it was made now, for sure they would have put that in the movie because now that's sort of more of a crisis. Yeah. I guess it was less on the menu back then. Mm. Okay, so the the other thing that I just want to talk about is just to pick something out that's to do with the fleet, uh, to do with the lunar base that they that they set up. Now it's not discussed in the movie and it's not shown for very long, but it is my favorite thing of any futuristic idea. Like I I honestly I just think it's the fleet base being an artificial ring around the moon is fucking exceptional for science fiction. Um, okay. We talked a bit about Dyson Spheres when we did Moonfall, if we ever want to mention that we talked about that movie ever again. Um, we mentioned every episode. Because <laughs> it's so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> uh, so a Dyson Sphere is an idea from the 60s by physicist Freeman Dyson that suggests an advanced species would build a spherical structure around their star in order to harness all the energy from it and increase um, living space. Uh, but an entire sphere is completely impractical. So in the 70s, physicists, uh, physicist Jared O'Neill proposed O'Neill cylinders, which could be placed in orbit forming a ring. Um, and the general idea being, like I said, increasing real estate around um, 
the orbit of the sun in order to kind of expand off Earth and kind of uh, survive in these containers harnessing the power from the sun. There, just to note as well that there's also, um, sometimes they're also called Niven rings, which comes from Larry Niven's 1970 novel Ringworld, uh, before anyone shouts mm-hmm. at me about um, not acknowledging Ringworld, as they often do whenever I mention a Dyson Sphere. So, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> the sci-fi nerds be coming for me. So, um, yeah, what did you think? Did you think that that was a good, because we all, when we see, like, bases and stuff like that you always just see it's all the star trek versions all the all the ideas they're always some big structure that's in orbit around the earth and they go up and they dock onto this big structure whereas in this one they were like instead of having a base on the ground on the moon they just created a ring around the moon and then that's where all the fleet docked and i just thought that was really cool i didn't even notice Mm. It's it's really short. It's when Carmen goes to and when they're like when they're undocking in the big ship and she's flying the big ship for the first time. And it was just something that I was just like, oh, I've not seen it done like that before. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I didn't notice that they were in a ring around the moon. Fair enough. That is cool. <laughs> That's cool. Um, all right, should we talk about some bugs? Yeah, I'd love to talk about the bugs. Let's talk about the bugs. Um, mm. So giant, giant bugs. Why not? Yeah, gross. <laughs> like, the existence of giant bugs is not an issue. Um, in terms, anyway, of thinking about aliens and, like, how life might form in other planets. Because where it is an issue, though, is the idea that humans and giant bugs being able to survive on the same planet, which is, like, a lot of the premise here. But when we think back to historically, right, there have been giant insects on Earth. And I feel like we've talked about this before, but I can't remember what movie it was i'm sure it might have come up giant bugs yeah i'm sure it came up in um jurassic park but i can't remember i feel like there was something else maybe the meg two great episodes you should go back and listen to if you haven't already um anyway look the basically what we're saying is that uh around 350 million years ago give or take a few million years there would have been giant bugs on the planet. So you could have had scorpions that were a couple of feet long living in the sea. There were millipedes that were nearly three meters long. And there were dragonflies with wingspans of one meter. Um, I'm sure mm. we've talked about the dragonflies. Anyway. Yes, that rang a bell. So, <laughs> so what happened? If we did have these enormous bugs 350 million years ago, something had to have changed. And it's not just about like dinosaurs going extinct or anything like that. It's more about like what hap- what changed in evolution and in the planet to get to a point where bugs became very, very small and humans um, grew large and, and evolved. So, excuse me. I found a great sci-fi article written by Cassie Ward that talked about how insects breathe. Now, earthly bugs of all varieties lack lungs. They have no way to manually exchange gases between their bodies and the environment. Instead, they breathe passively through openings in their exoskeleton. Their bodies are small enough and the oxygen content in the atmosphere is high enough that atmospheric pressure pushes oxygen into their bodies. The larger the body, the harder Mm. it is for oxygen to permeate all the way through. 
So back in the day when we were saying that we had giant bugs or giant insects on Earth, the oxygen count was way higher. It was roughly 35% oxygen in the atmosphere back then, allowing bugs to grow to a larger size. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, over time, the oxygen count in the atmosphere has reduced to its current value of around 21%, which then reduced the size that insects could grow to um, because they couldn't get enough oxygen if they were larger. But there still would have been an upper limit uh, to how big they could get because the size of the body grows at a larger rate than the skeletal structure. So at some point, the mass of the bug body would be too big to be supported by the skeletal structure or the exoskeleton. Um, and they would just like collapse in on themselves um, if they got a bit bigger. I feel like you talked about this before. And I still can't remember. We've done a lot of this movies. This sounds so three. familiar it's to me. It's been three years, you guys. It could be, was it The Fly? No, it wasn't The Fly. It could be Girl with All the Gifts. Maybe. For some really weird reason. Yeah, I'm maybe. Like, you talked why, about- does it, why does Girl with All the Gifts is like nagging at me for some weird yeah. reason? I have no idea why. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why, but for some reason I'm feeling like yeah, that, that was it. Maybe. Yeah, gross, giant bugs. Yeah, it was something to do with stages in temperature and where, where there was food yeah. available and how things evolve and why fungus is this and that. It was like explaining yeah. why there were certain dawn of certain species would have been thriving at Earth at different periods of time because of the resources that were available. Yeah. And now we're in the like the mammal era. Exactly. Yeah. So that's so basically what that means for for all of this is that um, a few things can allow for very very large bugs to exist. It's not it's not without um, it's not unreasonable, but in order for there to be giant bugs, you need to have a high oxygen content in the atmosphere. You also would need to have a higher atmospheric pressure in order to be able to push the oxygen through the larger size. Mm. Um, and lower gravity would also help with as you grow in mass to stop it kind of collapsing in on itself. So that's great for creating a planet that can support giant bugs, and maybe that's what Clendathu is. But the problem with all of this is that humans wouldn't be able to survive. Not without, at least not without Mm. assistance anyway. And in the movie, they're very much running around like they've got no spacesuits going on. They're just out there. They're just breathing that Clendathu air. (laughs) So... Um, it definitely doesn't actually, it doesn't actually, um, work for them to exist on the same planet. That's right. The conditions that it would allow bugs to be very big are not the conditions that would support life for mammals. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of it for bugs. It's, it's basically kind of saying, Um, in terms of an alien species, it's entirely possible in terms of the idea of there being a planet out there where you could have bugs like this, you know, um, a large bug, large skeleton running around the place, creating their burrows, having queens, having brain bugs that maybe think for the hive or the the swarm Mm. or whatever way you want to talk about it. All of that is, none of that is completely implausible. What's implausible is humans and bugs being in the same place mm. or wanting the same. I did, so It yeah. would make sense if there was yeah. resources. So like if there's specific resources, which we could yeah. actually look at because we did talk about um, in Don't Look Up, we talked about the whole mining asteroids. So you could look at it as a futuristic society where we've already mined everything within our own solar system. 
and Clendathu has this huge asteroid belt around it. So maybe it would be more a case of it's not that you want the planet for because it's a habitable planet, but maybe you want the asteroids. Maybe you just want to mine it. Um, in yeah. which case you just want to get rid of the bugs so you can mine that uh, planet. So the, like those kinds of things would all make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I just you think about the scales of the universe and different conditions which could cause things to grow different sizes relative to ours. Like that's we don't know the scales of some of the creatures, you know, because obviously on our planet, the scale over which things live is, you know, infinitesimally big and and the small uh, that it makes sense it's infinitely big (laughs) (laughs) the scale that things exist on um and because of reasons and then you think about another planet like if you have different uh oxygen um oxygen um concentration or different air pressure what that could mean for the size of things and then it makes you think it's funny because you think about a planet when everything's huge or a planet where everything's tiny and it sort of makes for really good like you know when you think about things like that and then you think about like it makes for really good you know like alien fiction stuff you start to imagine what kind of planets using the science to actually do a foundation of like well that's why Carl Sagan stuff is so good because he's Mm. like it's harmless let's just imagine something where we have everything we need but at different concentrations and different pressures, what would it be like? And it is super fun to think about. It's actually yeah. really fun to think about. Yeah. it Like, there's so much, there's so much possibility out there that I think sometimes it can be maybe mm-hmm. a little bit overwhelming. But, um, I'm sorry, excuse me. Drank too much coffee too quickly. But I also want to, th- I, I think, I don't think for one second that if a peoples were intelligent... If, if peoples that inhabited a planet were intelligent, that they eventually would wear clothing. I think. <laughs> like, I just think those things go together. Like, if you have intelligence and then eventually comes self-awareness, eventually you want to dress yourself up in stuff. I honestly think from the bottom of my heart that I was like, this is implausible. If a peoples are that intelligent, as they say, organized intelligent, why is nobody wearing any blink? Why isn't there any headbands? It's impossible. Eventually you want to make, you want to make yourself different. Yeah, but no, but it's also, yeah, but they're, but do they want to make themselves different? Because you're talking about when you, when you think about like the, the bugs, Think about ants. Think about like colonies where, you know, that that's kind of the whole thing. It's like you, you've got the workers that are, you know. <laughs> if they're a I hive do, mind. I just, I do just want to like give a quick little side to anyone who's read it. But Andy Weir's um, most recent book, uh, Project Hail Mary. Really great book. And we get to meet Rocky in it. And, and it is actually this thing. There's a moment in it where Rocky is, Rocky is basically a really really well thought out alien but you know no eyes like kind of looks a little bit like a spider uh in the general description of him but at some point he is wearing clothing at some point like when he could like he is wearing and and it's to symbolize different things and it's just really funny that you mentioned that because it's like yeah i can i can give you a yeah well i, I think give you an instance of a, if you're uh, alien spider wearing clothing <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I just think that ants, they're, they're not individually intelligent. They're, they're working in a hive mind, I suppose. Mm. So I guess if it's a hive mind with people at the top, then the people at the top will eventually wear clothes. Somebody has to wear clothes. <laughs> Why are you so... <laughs> because, but that's based on your idea that you come from a society where individual expression is important but maybe not um, <laughs> i don't think that that's a requirement I, for for intelligent life i think more intelligent I life do. wouldn't be bothered by individual expression that is not there yet <laughs> is my point like All if right. i'm gonna really believe that an alien race is contender for human ability to organize like on the scale that we can organize in groups which is kind of what makes us and, – and when you organize into groups, you want to wear something different from the other group, et cetera, and so on. So if I'm, if I'm to believe that an alien race is intelligent enough to organize against us, then they are intelligent enough to wear clothes. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm sticking to my guns. Okay, 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 okay. We, this is – sure. This is, this is a – New and wonderful way to determine whether we come across alien species. So all the astrobiologists out there, when uh, when you come across these exoplanets and when you do finally see, just check if they're wearing Not clothes. in clothes? <laughs> no problem. If they're not in clothes, then no problem. In my head, I'm thinking of George Orwell. I'm thinking of Animal Farm, by the way. Okay. I'm like, as, I, as I'm thinking about it, it's giving me fuel to keep okay. going on this logic right. because of Animal Farm. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm going to pull you away from Animal Farm and we're going to come back to Starship Troopers and we're going to come to weapons for a second. Because, like I said, in the book, there's a lot of advanced weaponry that's used by both the humans and the bugs. And um, and like I said, the, the lack of futuristic weapons for the humans was purely just down to a budget thing because they spent half of the budget on the effects to create the bugs. Um, they couldn't afford fancy armor. So... What we get for the humans are just kind of classic guns and grenades. But what we get for the bugs, the bugs have some weapons. We've got a brain-sucking tentacle. We've got a brain-sucking tentacle. And we've got plasma butts. I love all their organic weapons. Yeah. I'm really into it. Plasma butts is my favorite mm-hmm. thing. So these guys are called... That brain. <laughs> Well, because the brain bugs, right? Okay, so if we say the brain bugs thing, so like there's this whole idea that they're saying, oh, they're probably trying to suck out knowledge, and that's doubtful that they're that they're trying to do that. Uh, It's more likely that they're gaining nutrition because did you know the brains contain important omega three fatty acids? And there's a lot of nutrition in brains. Well, nutrition that you need for brains. So the brain bug eats the brain. And that makes them smarter. Because they get more nutrition. That you need for brains. Okay. Yeah, but they're saying in the movie, they, they make it seem in the movie that they're, um, that they're gaining knowledge about humans by yeah. eating their brains. And it's like, they're, no. It's but not they're a very sophisticated, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just an idea they had. Because yeah. they're not, you know, this is probably the first time they've ever been attacked. They've never had to think about defense against like other things ever. Mm. And so they're like, well, let's just eat their brains. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they're just trying something, anything. They're just yeah. trying something. But it seems like this creature, you know, that seems how it's designed <laughs> to eat and consume is to poke holes in skulls and suck out brains. So I guess they've done it before. Yeah. I don't mm. know. 
Um, okay, let's talk about their plasma butts then instead, because uh, it's my favorite thing. Crazy. Um, so these guys yeah. are called tanker bugs, and they've got an okay. acid plasma projectile that shoots from an antenna at the front of their heads that dissolves humans with a super duper version that can be shot from their butts into space as a planetary defense against the ships in orbit, which is the greatest thing ever. Amazing. Um, the thing is, plasma is a highly energetic gas that can be up to 10,000 Kelvin. Um, interesting fact, human bone has a melting point of around 2000 Kelvin and skin is destroyed at around 400 Kelvin. So I'm okay with plasma bugs melting humans. Yeah, totally. It's great. Gross. What? Um, Ew. Can I, can I also point out that, uh, considering my Google search history is now, what is the melting point of bone? <laughs> At what point does human skin burn? And um, is there... What is the nutritional value of brains? Mildly concerned for anyone looking at my Google search history. And I just want to point out, it was for a podcast. Officer, I could explain. It was for a podcast. I just... My head just got so dark. You have no ah. idea. Oh, I know. I was going to say... Which I won't. No, you really don't. Okay. You don't know how dark things get. In I just want to say James is still here. He brought me coffee. He hasn't gone missing. He's safe. Um, oh, wow. Right. So yeah, but that's it. I just, I just love the idea that these bugs have that they've got like their worker bugs that are the ones that run around. And then they've got these big tanker bugs that um, are the ones that are kind of defensive that have some sort of weaponry. And I love the jets being shot up from the planet. Um, I just think it's a really mm. cool defense system. It looks like um, what's the. What is that phenomenon? A geyser. geyser yeah. It reminded me of a geyser. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. And it's kind of cool when you think about it as well, because like they have different colors. So the one at, at the front shoots out like orange red and the one at the back, the one that go that they shoot up into space shoots out blue. And I mean, that makes like when you talk about temperatures, um, think about a flame burning. The hotter the flame burns, mm. the bluer it is. So it just kind of tells you that the ones that they shoot up into space are much, much hotter and much more powerful than the one that they're shooting at the humans down from their heads. So I thought it was cool. Do you think that's how they're knocking the, the asteroids out of the belt and just hurling them? Do you think it's with, you know, what else could it be? Is it the but would it knock the But would it knock the asteroids or would it destroy them and break them up? Well, with enough finesse, I'm sure they know how to like... <laughs> enough finesse. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe. If they figured out how to do that faster than light. <laughs> I love these aliens. See, I just feel so sad for them. Yeah. It is sad. It's the way that the, the way it plays out is sad. So speaking of, let's let's go into the last section then. This is where I'm going to talk about the themes of the movie and we're going to come to uh, history and moral philosophy. And I only say that because it's the name of the class that they take in the movie, which is also a huge feature of the book. So I do want to bring that up now because Starship Troopers is, of course, based on Robert Heinlein's 1959 novel and Heinlein being the godfather of science fiction writing. He was one of the first ever writers to promote scientific accuracy in his writing. 
And that might be because, something I never knew, uh, Heinlein was an aeronautical engineer and a naval officer, which is fascinating. Cool. Also goes a long way to explaining the heavy, like, militaristic themes of his stories. But also what I think is a really funny side note is that in the book, it's from the perspective of, like, Rico being in the mobile infantry and they look down on the Navy a lot. I just think that's kind of funny that he chose the Navy as the, you know, being a naval officer. Anyway, now the movie was then directed by Paul Verhoeven, who is a Dutch filmmaker who's famous for combining graphic violence, sexual content and social satire. And in terms of Hollywood, he's best known for Robocop, Total Recall, Hollow Man and Basic Instinct. Interesting. Right. Right. Now, the themes of the book are patriotism, colonialism and authoritarianism. And Verhoeven saw it as nationalistic, totalitarian and in favour of military rule, which definitely does come across in the book. Um, And this is all the antithesis of Verhoeven's personal views. The thing is, he grew up in Nazi-occupied Netherlands, so he wanted to make a story undermining all of these themes. And for that reason, the movie is intended as a satire of fascism and authoritarian governments. Um, Verhoeven was really disappointed after it was released because a few critics, the Washington Post being one of them, accused him and the screenwriter of being neo-Nazis and the movie being Nazi sympathetic. Uh, Verhoeven Mm. stated that it was tremendously disappointing that they couldn't see that all he had done was to ironically create a fascist utopia. Um, So... Some interesting things about the style and the way that he made the movie is that he took inspiration from a 1975 essay written by Susan Sontag to identify key aspects of Nazism. So the cult of beauty, fetishism of courage, repudiation of intellect, and used these influences in his casting choices as well as the placement of imagery in the uniforms, the architecture, and all the symbols. Um, The biggest and most obvious satirical piece is the use of propaganda videos. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, there's an interesting piece written by the AV Club or written in the AV Club, sorry, by Darren Mooney, who described this as prescient of the increasing prominence of fake news and presenting stories that those in positions of power want the populace to see. So emphasizing patriotism and duty while offering the illusion of choice and enlightenment by asking, do you want to know more? Uh, The whole kind of style of everything that he's doing or the movie is intended is basically saying that the youth are indoctrinated through these slogans and propaganda and information relating to the arachnids is intended to provoke a xenophobic response both convincing the protagonist that their cause is righteous and presenting the arachnids as less than by saying like the only good bug is a dead bug peace is Mm. never presented as an option uh So in general, Starship Troopers presents a society that has been convinced to trade its freedoms, rights and identities for security from this alien threat. And Verhoeven also treated it as a response to the events that he perceived in contemporary US politics, such as limited gun restrictions and an increase of capital punishment, which he believed would eventually result in open fascism, Um, as well Mm. as the film... Mm as well as looking at films in the US that glorified US military forces and depicted a casual attitude to violence, which we've talked about before, especially when it comes to like the whole American exceptionalism and stuff. Um, So ultimately, whether you get the satire or not, 
Paul Verhoeven has stated very clearly that the movie's message is war makes fascists of us all and that he sees the movie Mm. as a satire of American militarism. Mm. How do we feel? Yeah, it's the most obvious target of the satire is is the yeah the glorification of military service yeah and i mean and and the ugliness of war and also just the fact that you know it seems like the movie is showing us at the end they're just going to be cycles and cycles of infantry sent sent in to die um and that's basically what they're there to do but they you know have to glorify it somehow so that people keep signing up and it's gross and that, so that's that's kind of the clearest that's the clear the clearest target there yeah um and that 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 exists with or without a fascist society you know even in a free democracy mm-hmm. there's always reasons to go to war people just use democratic channels to sort of to, to like lubricate it yeah but it happens it happens anyways i mean and, and then the idea that like we use the excuse of wanting to create freedom everywhere not us, but, you know, freedom and democracy everywhere in order to send troops out to other countries which to, to de- deliver them freedom and democracy mm. as well. So, you know, it's, and then fascism being the other target of it. But, you know, that happens, yeah, that happens in all societies almost. Yeah, it's like, I find it really interesting in that... Um, there, there's such a contrast there's a contrast and there's some there's some that's a contrast and some that's complementary and I find it quite difficult to explain uh, because it, it feels like the movie was made as like the, the intention of saying that Verhoeven made it as an, an like to be everything that the book wasn't that he viewed the book as being mm-hmm. all these things and then wanted to make a satire of that and made it in that way in some ways I think can read as he was basically saying you know like oh Heinlein's a fascist dick here's here's my response to it but there they're mm-hmm. both there's a lot of similarities in in what's going on and there's a lot of differences so the movie itself is not a direct um representation of what happens in the book and then twisting it to make it seem like a satire the book is more it's just Rico's story as he travels through this and it's explaining what the structure of this society is so these ideas about what a futuristic society of humans would be and how we would evolve into our roles and what our roles would be and the way that he sets up this futuristic society is that we ultimately, because of our reliance on war and military and defense, that ultimately we reach a point in the future where um, military becomes this kind of glory thing. And your, your reward for joining the military is to become a full citizen. If you're not joining the military, you're never a full citizen. And the way it's laid out is it gives some reasoning for it. And the reasoning for it is basically saying that um, if you, you don't get to make choices, you don't get to make decisions about who goes to war if you've never been in a war. You don't get to direct um, how how we kind of evolve or how, how we govern um, this 
society that we live in that is so um, heavily featured, military is so heavily featured, if you've never been in the military. And the only way that you get the right to do that is you have to serve out a specific term. Um, so that's why they have that scene in the shower scene where they're talking about their reasons for joining. They do their term. Yeah. And once they get their term, then they can do things like go into politics and go into other things because they... Um, because they've they've served, so they understand what the troops yeah. that they're then sending out to war go through. So it it, it is explored. Or have a baby. Yeah, but they you didn't. Know, she did say license. she did say it made it easier to get a license. Okay. Not oh, that you okay. couldn't get a license, but it just made it easier oh, if you served. So okay, it's very. I find it really interesting how it's kind of depicted in this idea to think about if we think about the world that we live in now and we think about what would we be in 5,000 years and how would our society be governed? Will we still live within this democracy or will we have will we have changed? And, and yeah, I don't like it doesn't appear like democracy is continuing. I don't so I don't view the book as being pro this future. I view it as being a very good and very reflective assessment of how structures might work if we followed on this path and what might happen in terms of sure. the future. And and I think it's an interesting take to look at it that because there are some aspects of it that I agree with because there's things in it where they talk about and they do it in the movie where he says, I only have one rule, everyone fights. So it's a case of like, if you're in this, you don't get to be in it and be the administrator. That's an extra mm. duty that you get. You're in this. You have to fight. We are all equal. We all have to do this job yeah. together. And if you don't want to be here, you don't get punished for it. You can just leave at any point. So in the they they play it off a little bit different in the movie, but in the book they they make the express point to say they make it really hard to join the military, but really easy to leave. Because their point is, if you don't want to be here, we don't want you here because you're not going to have my back. And that's mm -hmm. why he says as well, like, if if you like, I'll kill you myself, basically, because if you're going to get in the way and put everyone else in danger, then the quickest and easiest thing is you either leave. But if we're on the battlefield, I put you down and that's it. I think it's a really interesting assessment of what that mindset might be in a military environment. Sorry, I've talked about that quite a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, I think that democracy is very fragile, and we see how fragile it is. So I don't think, and, and it's also for times of plenty. And I think when things become rough, it's sort of easier in the chaos for um, something more fascist to emerge. And I think also there's something very appealing to a lot of people, certain people in society, to be under a fascist dictatorship, weirdly. Mm. But the thing is that it's a warning what fascism music usually comes with. It always comes with an enormous amount of violence to yeah. suppress the masses and um, taking away of your freedom and rights. And so movies like this are important because we see how quickly we can slip into fa sort yeah. of fascist tendencies, if not a full-on fascist rule, and how many countries do slip into those. And But it's a warning. It's like there is no fascism without the use of enormous oppressive violence. So um, and the disregarding of human rights, depending on the state's needs. The state needs people to be fed into the war machine, then they're fed into the war machine. Or any other way that humans' rights are taken away. 
exactly so and yeah. that's and the, the movie is a great reflection on how how easily as you said how easy we can fall into that particularly by with all the propaganda making it seem like you're doing your part to support the troops you know um this is this is the best thing do you want to be a full citizen do you want to get this right do you want to get that right then we do that and what but it doesn't come without violence. So so we have all that shiny, glassy uh, depiction of the different things, the different roles you could make within this society and become a citizen. And then you get the battlefield shots, which are all very, very graphic gore and a lot of death. And that that cycle of how, how Rico travels through um, how he gets promoted because you get promoted on the battlefield and the only way you get promoted on the battlefield mm. is because the person directly Murder, above you has violence. been killed so yeah also i just do do want to also point out that it's a total totalitarian tot- never fucking say this word <laughs> totalitarianism is right that's the, the this is the problem because that can be found on you know both sides yeah. of this political spectrum obviously but it's 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 when you have a totalitarian rule then which expects people to be sort of uniform and Mm. to be like basically like the bugs essentially like we are all the same we all have the same values and that's when any kind of divergence from that is quickly squashed and it's always with violence and um to scare people so but i have one thing that i was thinking when you were talking and i don't Mm. want to forget it which is that having to serve in the military to be a citizen how much how different is that from having to serve in the military because you're a citizen? Ah, you seem really bummed out. Ooh, good stuff. It's, it just, I just, I'm filled with the sense of the world being dark and humans going to war and decisions being made for reasons and then propaganda being used to convince us that everything's okay. And it, it, mm. it's, 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 it's sad i know you know when we talk about things sometimes and and we always have like a moment where i just say like well i'm really pessimistic about the future of the human race i just don't believe that we have <laughs> not the future welcome the past. welcome to I'm my pessimistic world about the past <laughs> i keep thinking about the war in iraq like yeah. at the whole time we're talking i keep thinking about that and it's like that that happened in a free and democratic society where yeah. all the powers that are supposed to be used to 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 supply democracy to a people were used to um inflict a war upon an entire region that has still that has sent that region is still in that in the chaos and it's like it's propaganda is so so powerful um and the media is is the most powerful tool and and it's sad yeah like the, the fact that the media is supposed to be set up as the what are they called? The fourth estate. I don't know, whatever it's called. It's like the, 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 the other branch of the legislative branch is used to check people. It can be used to disperse um, false information in order to justify heinous crimes yeah. um, against humanity. And that propaganda is easily the most interesting part of of when you look back in history, fasc- fascist dictatorships. Yeah. World, uh, well, like Hitler's regime especially, it's just amazing how important propaganda was um you know his second in command being the head of propaganda the movies of lenny reifenstahl um it's enormously depressing but fascinating 
in, in the same way, incredibly fascinating. I would say the propaganda aspect of this movie probably is the single most like elevating part of it. It's the part it's, that really gets you to realize what you're looking at. I, exactly. For, for sure. I, it, it makes me think yeah. of, you know, when, when you have like political races, when you in America, would they do those, um, those commercials, this, you know, this message is, um, I'm whatever. And I approve this message. And it's just yeah. like making these videos to put down your opponent. To, it's just such a fucked up way to create a democratic. Like, I mean, this this mm. this idea that we're like we're in this democracy because you have the freedom to vote and you can vote for whoever you want is bullshit. Because what you're watching yeah. all the time is like a mudslinging match. Just watching people fight like teenagers freedom yeah do you know kids freedom of speech well you're a poopy head well you're a you know it's like this literally what it here sounds like sometimes when you watch them speak to each other whether it's in like the american whatever it is or or in the house of commons and you're just like watching the language of how they talk to each other and the jeering and this this i love that though but (laughs) But it's so no, it's so childish. It's like I'm sorry, you're running the country, you're running the country, and you're standing there jeering at each other, and we're here voting for you and thinking we have freedom because we're allowed to vote for you. And in America, like the fact that it's always a two party race, like why the fuck is it always that? Why, why do we settle for this society where it's one or the other, and you're always just choosing the lesser of two fucking evils? And someone else gets into control and then it's like, oh, there's this retaliation and, and all the voting and the seats and the the people that win the elections, it's always based on some bullshit that's being spread. I mean, we see it. Mm-hmm. You see it. You see fucking... Not always, but in the, the worst most, of times, for, for sure. For the most part, they're out there now just mm-hmm. like with the absolute manic lies where you just look at it and you go, that is blatantly not true, can very easily... Mm be um be proven that that's not true but we've gotten to a point where we're creating the society and it's like it is in the movie where everyone's just so fucking dumb they're not questioning anything it's just like this is what i go do fine yeah absolutely do you always question and it, yeah but yeah you know we have this is the second second time it's in my in my life that we've in my voting life that we've had a, a, a referendum or a plebiscite where the, where the, where the population gets to vote on an important issue and whatever the population votes on that they're going to either automatically or, you know, eventually. Mm. And the craziest part about all this that the rules of a plebiscite dictate that there needs to be equal funding for PR or promotional stuff for each side of the campaign. It's like haunting. So gay marriage. Mm. Well, if they're going to, if the government's going to give up money for the yes campaign, well, the government has to give up equal amounts of money for the no campaign. And that was like a horror show beyond belief that everybody was like, well, that was a terrible mistake and fuck you all. Now we're having it again with having an Indigenous voice in Parliament referendum. Oh, well, if we need the pro campaign to explain to the Australian people why they should vote that, yes, well, we certainly need to give the same amount of money for the people to say why you shouldn't have an Indigenous voice to Parliament. And it's like this is free. This is freedom and democracy in this most literal sense, which is in no way the spirit of freedom of democracy. It reminds me 
of like my ex-husband in the way that's like the literal interpretations of shit that is completely outside the spirit of it like these mind-nubbing conversations that you have with people where they're only concerned about the the complete only the literal definition or the semantic definition of something yeah but in the process completely do away with the spirit of it and i do feel like this ideas of freedom of speech being taken so far to the point of like literal definition that it no longer actually expresses the thing and you know what's really interesting that in jewish law there is this idea of biblical literacy being ridiculous like you never have a literal definition of something that you go on it's all about interpretation and the being in Mm. the spirit of the intention is always like a big part of how you interpret jewish law but literally like literally taking text for what it's literally said is seen as ignorant and obnoxious in a Jewish thing. And it always becomes about discussion about what is the intention of this and what's the spirit of it. And I always like that. That's how I was raised. And that's how I was brought up when learning about that thing. And when you see people digging into a literal definition of something, um, when clearly they're going outside the zone, it's insane. But then, but then they use that kind of, you know, they do this annoying debates live debates right yeah where, where they dig into this literal kind of literally freedom of speech and you're telling me to shut up but like we have a freedom of speech but it's like you know that's that is the level of intelligence that all this shit uses yeah so it's like arguing their way into dystopia when in fact it's like hello why is everybody so stupid <laughs> like this isn't what we meant yeah it's um it's concerning just then but uh i think we're just gonna it is concerning we're we're just gonna let we're just gonna leave it there (laughs) yeah that's why it's important to be smart like us yeah (laughs) just you know just just like don't take things at face value like if if you see an article if someone tells you something if even if a politician says something don't take it at face value go and look into roll your eyes first Roll your eyes first, uh, ask questions later. Okay. <laughs> that's your sage advice. Um, all right, so that's Starship Troopers. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I let that discussion go on for way longer than I intended to. Um, mm-hmm. So let's jump into our final section, which is What the Fuck? What the Frida, what is your what the fuck of Starship Girl, I have named all of them. (gasps) Like, I'm just upset. I have. I've literally said all of my what the fucks as best bits. I'm sorry. I have two. Okay, yeah, you just tell me yours. Uh, First up is Xander's hair. What? Xander's hair. It's the worst haircut I've ever seen ever. Why did he have such I a terrible remember. haircut? Like Rico is so perfectly clean shaven. Everyone else is so perfectly neat and put together yeah. because they're in the in the military. And then Xander comes in. Is it just because like the actor was like obviously really old and playing a teenager, and they thought let's give him a cool nineties hairstyle? Oh, that that one up there. Yeah, Jake Boosie. No, 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 not Boosie. Xander. Who? Um, who? The, um, Which one is uh, Xander? Patrick Muldoon. The guy who's into I... Carmen. He gets his head eaten by a Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What the hell? 
<laughs> terrible hair. Yeah, he looked like he looked like a weird soap star. He looked like a soap opera star. It's like it feels Heart like throat. you're trying to make him look younger, but you've actually made him look older. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Oh my god, it's so hilarious. So oh my um, god. And my other what the fuck is the random shot of the dead dog buried in the rubble that just made me really sad and I didn't like it. I don't remember that. That's funny. <laughs> it was a, it was a random clip, and I was just like, why did I need to see this? Why are, is this because we always we never kill dogs in disaster action movies? So you just decided to kill a dog and show us the just go all the, the way completely broken you know i mean i suppose you've shown us lots of i suppose that's the thing isn't it like look at all the shots of dead bodies of humans in the entire movie that didn't affect me but that one shot of a dead dog and i was like no how dare you absolutely there was so much backslashing in this movie yeah. as well like slashing it was just crazy it was great. gross um okay final verdict yeah. did the movie pass the sam's test i say yes no, what? What? Really? Oh, because Denise Richard was a pilot. Well, you had there was lots of women in this movie. And lots of That's women true, that were, were there all, for themselves. I mean, the characters claim they were there for themselves, but in the movie it was just like who's going to be my boyfriend? Who's going to be the girlfriend? This one or this one? Oh, this one. Well, they played, yeah, they played with that a little bit, but like, but they played with that a little bit, but like, look, Carmen was like, yeah, I'm into you, but my career is more important to me, so I'm going to go and do my career. Um, Dizzy was like, yeah, yeah, "Yeah, yeah. I'm into you and I'd like us to be together, but don't think that I came here because of you. I came here for my own fucking reasons. Fuck you, dickwad. You're right. And then you had like, you, you had all these female pilots and captains and people in charge and running things. Okay, you've yeah. convinced me. Thank you. It passes the Sam's test. Thank you. Uh, does it pass Thank the you. science? No. What? Nah, I think we're oh, just like, no, why even answer really, that yeah. question? I know. Yeah, let's just move on. What's your final verdict? <gasps> What's Rita going to give Starship Troopers? Three. Oh, point. Yeah, three. What? That is way less than I expected. Less? I thought I so you. I just thought you'd. What? Give it, I just thought you'd give it a higher mark. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> you don't I'm, have to. I'm, I'm just saying that I'm surprised. Okay, I thought I would not know. I just was like, yeah. Anyway, yeah, three. I'll give it a three. All right. Point three. <laughs> I went up a point three. <laughs> four point five for it me. Is Starship it is. Troopers is four point five. Sweet. Absolutely. It's wild to me. Okay, well. She's fucking fly five. Fuck's sake. What's the next movie, Frida? (laughs) We know all of the know. We all know what the next movie is. Anybody who was here at our last live recording knows what I've picked for the next movie. (laughs) And it is Small Soldiers. Yeah. Not toy soldiers, because that's that's the one from the same era about the boys that are in the boarding school and the terrorists. No, it's small soldiers, which is actually about the toy soldiers. Okay. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. It's small soldiers. And neither of these things are an Eminem song. Yeah. Small soldiers is the next movie. Okay, cool. Thank you. Yay. So, uh, are you? All right, so next movie, Small Soldiers. Uh, that'll be out in two weeks' time. Um, if you're watching us on TikTok, then we shall be back in two weeks to record it live. 
if you'd like to give us a rating we would super appreciate it we say this every single episode and you still don't fucking do it so i don't know why i bother wasting my breath on you people anymore but we appreciate you being here so you, thank you. People. <laughs> you people oh you can also comment on spotify now as frida pointed out recently um so yeah so you could also if you do follow us on spotify you can do that um if you're on apple Podcasts, give us a rating and if you're on any other podcast then yeah fine just come and find us on tiktok or instagram because we post so often on instagram these days what anyway i'm gonna stop talking now thank you for listening bye bye <laughs>